The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hey everybody and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy with uh, media producer experience. I run a website called youthrivehere.com. And I'm here with the famous Raymond Anderson, the Senior Minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. How you doing, Ray? Doing well in yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Cool. Are you ready for our dueling inspirations? That, that's the sound of me uh, slapping you on the cheek with a glove. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> I'm going to do two today. Uh-oh. Okay. I got you. I got one for your two. (laughs) All right. Do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) Uh, Good one. I like that. In a dark place, we find ourselves. A little more knowledge lights our way. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Quoting the master there, I see. Okay. Yes, Master Yoda. (laughs) Yes, yes. So uh, that makes me ask a question, but we can chat about that later. Uh, You know, the Sith deal in absolutes. Do or do not, there is no try. Sounds like an absolute to me, but hey. (laughs) Are you saying that Yoda was really a Sith? (laughs) I'm saying that there are shades of gray throughout the whole concept, that's all. That's it, that's all. Just asking a question. (laughs) So you ready for mine? I am ready for yours. Okay, so, uh, okay, here we go. We have yet to see what the multiplied consciousness of a church body can do. If they were properly trained, if they permit someone to exercise an authority over them, not of their theology, for which I wouldn't give a nickel anyway, (laughs) not of their private lives, which are no one's business but their own, but of one thing only, there is a law of good. There is a power in the universe greater than we are and we can use it, and it will multiply its effects a thousand times, in my belief, through the united consciousness of a group. Know who that is? Is that Ernie? There you go. And I got that from uh, that book that you uh, asked me about not too long ago. 
And you asked if, if I thought the book was a, a good read to you know, get a little bit more earnest background. Yes. That's yeah. uh, the, what's, what's the name of it? The, uh, <laughs> I can't remember all of a sudden. Oh, is that right? <laughs> I've been looking at it actually. <laughs> yeah, the Ernest Holmes papers. The Ernest Holmes papers, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was kind of a Yoda. Yes, yes, and, and not you know not because he was you know stature wise, but you know he he had it going on, <laughs> challenging folks with their uh, status quo kind of stuff. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of Ernest Holmes uh, material lately. I'm really digging it. I I have uh, there's a lot of into intellectuality in in <laughs> new thought new thought stuff, and I'm trying to combine that with the heart sense too, which is sometimes I think a little bit challenging with new thought. Yeah, and I don't understand why, because it really should be easier for us, just because of what the philosophy is based on. It should be easier for us to jump into, you know, realms of compassion and empathy and the heart space, but it actually seems more difficult. I think it's a matter of synthesizing that stuff because I've, a lot of us come from a very intellectual, you know, sort of perspective on, on the logic of the philosophy mm -hmm. and it needs time to sort of um, soak in that it's a emotional, not emotional, but a, a really a heartfelt practice as well. I think that's not something that, that, a lot of people who initially come into it necessarily feel at the beginning, but you know, I think it's definitely there. I, I agree. It, so when I went to Mexico recently, you know, it was a rather long plane flight. And so I had the opportunity to go ahead and watch season one of the uh, Star Trek, the next, whatever it is of Star Trek, Star Trek discovery, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh. And so what you're saying sounds to me like, I can't think of the character's name, but um, the young woman who was trained in the Vulcan method of way of living, and yet she's human, you know who I'm talking about? Michael Burnham. Yes, thank you, thank you. So for me, she is what you just said. She is the synthesis of here is logic and yet here is heart. And how does this show up? How do I bring both the intellectual stuff that I learned as being, you know, raised as a Vulcan, yet because I'm human, I have to also bring in what I have as my human capabilities. So like she's like the perfect demonstration of what this is to bring them both together. Interesting, interesting. Give me just a little bit. I know we've talked a little bit about it before, but you had sort of a interesting path to uh, new thought tell me a little bit about that because you didn't start out in, as new thought as many of us didn't <laughs> no so i was raised a non-church going baptist uh very devout baptist kind of person family was very much fear of god kind of family even though we didn't go to church so my main church going experience started with me watching television evangel evangelicals um, evangelists such as Rex Humbard and the Humbard family, Oral Roberts and his son, Billy Graham, and the list goes on, including Pat Robertson and the 700 Club. <coughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, that so, makes me cough too a little bit. No offense, <laughs> to, no offense yeah. to those who, who are into that. Yeah. So 
but when I got involved in martial arts, I, you know, started learning about Eastern philosophy, Taoism, Buddhism, etc., and eventually stumbled across the Science of Mind textbook, but felt deeply afraid to actually let people know I was reading it. So, you know, I would take it out of the library and hide it and read it and then found the magazine and it was like, oh, this is much easier to carry and hide. So I was, you know, learning the philosophy without, yeah, I was still in the closet per se of new thought. And then fast forward many years later, moved to Richmond, Virginia and attended an MCC church, which is typically referred to as the gay church because it's a Christian church, but is very open and gay affirming and friendly, et cetera. And so steeped myself even more into the idea of liberation theology and feminist theology and LGBTQ theology, which perfectly bridged into new thought anyway. And so then once I moved to DC, it was like, okay, I need to find a, a place to go. So I started going to Unity of Washington, DC, almost became a member there. But because I moved, I ended up going to CSL Celebration Center, Falls Church, Virginia, and jumped back into prac training and the path to becoming a licensed CSL minister. Interesting. That's good stuff. You know, I I started out in Greek Greek Orthodox uh, perspective, which is pretty hardcore. Uh, it is traditional Christianity. Yeah, it um, is. But I was always kind of intrigued by other perspectives. And uh, I, I always had kind of that feeling that I was part of God. God was within me and all that stuff. And, and I didn't get into the miserable sinners thing. But, but, but there, was a, there was a time when I, I was, I wouldn't say devout, but I was really into, you know, trying to find a path. So I kind of mm -hmm. was on that one. Um, but, you know, eventually uh, my my older sister married a Jewish man and converted to Judaism. Um, I got a divorce and I started realizing that my path is, is very different um, than what I, what I initially thought it was all about. And I found myself at Unity by the Bay, which is a Unity church in Severna Park, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And it really just totally opened my eyes. I was like you, I was kind of afraid it was a cult or something, but <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, eventually I found my way to uh, uh, one is Center for Spiritual Living in Columbia, Maryland, as well. And you know, so I would say, and of course, I'm I'm now part of your congregation at the CSL Greater Baltimore. But you know, I'm I'm always been I've always been a child of both uh, unity and uh, religious science. I just find, you know, it's such a positive path, and it feels so it feels so right. And it does satisfy the intellectual side of me and the, the heart centered side of me. So agree. You know, that's kind of, kind of been my, my path uh, to all this. I agree with you 100%. And I, I would love to see, I mean, I know the corporate offices of both unity and CSL are working together on, you know, developing a bridge, but I would love to see CSL and unity and any other new thought like agape I would love to see us doing more collaborative stuff to get the message out there and start shifting consciousness at a grander scale. I think that's happening. I think that's happening. We've got a, the Association of Global New Thought mm -hmm. um, that's out there and actively doing things. And they seem to be uh, working together a lot more, um, I think, to, to get the word of this philosophy out there. So yes. I agree with you there. I think that's, that's really important.
Yes, because we're, uh, in the grand scheme of things, we are too much of a closeted religion, philosophy, way of life. Like you ask the average person, you know, what is unity? What is divine science? What is religious science? The average person has no idea. Yeah. And I'm like, it's time for us to be, people know more about Scientology than they know about new thought. And now it's time for Raymond's Corner. So when I think of this idea of what it means to be a spiritual rebel, there are a lot of concepts or ideas that come to my mind. And one of them is this idea of if someone's a rebel, then they're also to a certain degree, a revolutionary. And so what does it mean to be a revolutionary? Someone who turns, they revolve, they change from the status quo to some other level of consciousness per se. So Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. could be seen as a spiritual rebel because rather than remaining in the pulpit and doing what was comfortable or what was easy, he chose to speak out, speak out against racism and segregation and injustice. Same thing as Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa. So there are many examples of what it means to be a spiritual rebel. We can find them in many films and stories that identify the hero's journey. Luke Skywalker, Yoda, Neo from the Matrix, Doctor Strange, Peter Parker. So like there are all these ideas. So what does it mean for us to be a spiritual rebel or spiritual revolutionary? And what comes to my mind is this idea of, are we seeking, are we doing the spiritual work, the practices, the walking the walk, the talking the talk, to evolve our own consciousness so that the consciousness of the masses, mass consciousness, group consciousness, race consciousness, whatever we're calling it, so that that consciousness reaches a tipping point and begins to change. Otherwise, we are simply going about doing this work solely for ourselves, solely for our own gratification. We are manifesting parking spaces and green lights, but not peace on earth, goodwill to all humans, not justice to people, not equality to people, not food and shelter to people. So in this world where we have so many people using religion to hurt, harm, and abuse, to terrorize others, being a spiritual rebel, being a spiritual revolutionary means getting grounded in our spiritual practice to such a degree that the vibration of love, compassion, harmony, peace, etc., truth, that this vibration, this consciousness, this state of awareness becomes contagious, that everywhere we go, we are a walking, talking demonstration of what it means to be that who knows the truth that who walks the walk, that who knows their own divinity and sees that divinity in others. And whether we say namaste or not, that everyone we speak to, we are speaking the vibration of namaste. Everyone that we shake hands with or give a hug to or a head nod in recognition that on some level we are acknowledging that which is divine in me. And not even just that, that that which is the divine showing up in through and as me sees itself, the absolute oneness of itself in, through, and as everyone that I look at, everyone who looks at me, everyone that I speak to, everyone who speaks to me, everyone that I touch, and everyone who touches me, right? So how do I 
choose to turn from. You know, in the Bible, it says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence my help comes. So that's about shifting consciousness. Rather than looking down at the, oh, woe is me, lack scarcity consciousness, I will lift my eyes, I will lift my vision, I will lift my consciousness to that elevated place where I know that there is only one power and one presence, God the good, omnipotent. When I look down, my consciousness sinks. I, I devolve rather than evolve. So I will lift my eyes, I will lift my vision, I will lift my consciousness. I will be so rebellious that I will not choose to focus on lack, scarcity, illness, and disease. I will acknowledge that they are an experience, but I do not need to marinate on and let that become the truth of my being. I do not have to anchor in this consciousness of war and rumors of war. Yes, there may be the experience of war, but I do not have to believe that that is how it has to be simply because that is what has been. Am I bound by precedent or do I let principle, spiritual truth and principle guide my way? It's a choice. Do I choose to status quo, same old, same old, or do I choose to elevate my consciousness and walk the walk and change the world? Raymond, you're going to be very jealous of me. I know you have to uh, go on to uh, do a couple of things. You're not going to be able to join me for the interview. I'm going to have an awesome time with Sarah Bowen. And uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff like the Church of the Latter-day Dude. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> reading reading uh, Harry Potter as, as scripture and, uh, and Star Wars stuff. So, you know, you're going to have to be jealous of me. Yeah, already am. May the force be with the both of you and tell Dumbledore I said hello if he walks in on, you know, during the interview. And uh, I guess I don't know what the dude says other than aloha. <laughs> <laughs> well, may the force be with you. And also with you. <laughs> I'm flying solo for this interview without my friend Raymond Anderson, who had to attend to something. I know he would have loved to have been here because this is going to be fun. I'm going to do my best to get my trek on, though. Um, it's really exciting to have today's guests on. Her name is Sarah Bowen, the author of the book Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Let me uh, give you her official bio, or at least part of her official bio. Sarah is a multi-faith spiritual educator and speaker and this is important, an aspiring Jedi. She's passionate about the study of the world's great faith traditions, animal welfare, and travel to spiritually charged locations. As a member of One Spirit Interface Seminary's faculty, Spiritual Directors International, and several, several recovery communities, she seeks to help people connect with the higher power of their own understanding. Her work has appeared in Tricycle, Spiritual, Spirituality and Health, Common Ground, Light of Consciousness, Shatterproof, Elephant Journal, more, more, more. She's especially interested in the intersection of spiritual values with animal welfare. Sarah is a fierce advocate for all creatures and currently serves as an animal chaplain. Sarah, it's so great to have you here. Thank you, Jim. So excited to be here. And I have to tell the folks about your t-shirt before we start. <laughs> 
you guys can't see us, but Jim is sporting an excellent Star Wars t-shirt, and, uh, and I just appreciate coming on to any podcast and knowing that I'm among my people. You are definitely among your people, yes, and I, I have to tell you, I, I'm wearing uh, Darth Vader socks, but, but my wife has persuaded me not to wear my Star Wars boxer shorts. She's embarrassed about that. I don't know why. That's a whole episode in itself, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, you've had a really interesting path to your spirituality, and um, I just thought we'd we'd go through that a little bit. Um, you were a preacher's daughter, right? Am I correct about that? That is correct, absolutely. What uh, faith tradition did he come from? So my father was a Presbyterian minister, and I grew up in upstate New York and then the Midwest. We moved, you know, every five or six years as his church has changed. Um, and when people normally hear preacher's kid, you know, they, they either they either think, you know, you go the straight and narrow way or you go the other way. And I went the other way. <laughs> Luckily, my father was not uh, kind of that footloose version that you see of the of the preacher who doesn't let you uh, you dance or, or play with boys. Um, unfortunately, I did a lot more of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that was, was quite healthy for me on my spiritual journey. So um, you, at one point, you know, through all that, you, you weren't into spirituality at all. Religion was not your thing. How did that change for you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think when I was a kid, like it, it worked, right? Like I liked being at church. It was a lot of fun. Of course, we used to skip church all the time and have our own little club in my dad's office and make the kids bring us their offering and we'd give little lessons, you know, so <laughs> I, I should have known what was going to happen eventually, right? This is karma. Um, but somewhere around puberty, like the, my church couldn't answer the questions that I had, right? So I had a lot of questions about what was going on with me. Um, mentally, physically, sexually, just all this kind of stuff, right? And so I went the, the other route and I chased, uh, I chased success and I chased money and I chased all those kind of things. And then I was in my 30s and, and I just remember waking up one day and saying, this is just unmanageable. I can't do this anymore. I was in a marketing career. There's a lot that goes with that, right? And, uh, and I just, I was bankrupt, I was bankrupt inside. Mm -hmm. And luckily I had some friends who were able, you know, as we all do, right? We have, we have like in Star Wars, we got the Chewbacca who comes along, right? Or the Yoda, you know, in my <laughs> life, it's Helen and Zulma and, and Checo and all these other wonderful people that helped me first find wellness, right? Because I, I was, I was struggling with addiction. Um, everything looked good on the outside. Everything was just messed up on the inside. And so they helped me get wellness. And then wellness led to spirituality. And I like to make a distinction between the two. Like the wellness is the I'm okay. And the spirituality is the we will be okay. Hmm. And that was an important shift for me. Interesting. Now, I know, um, like you, I was a teen in the 80s. Uh, am I correct about that? I don't want to date us too much, but... Were you a teen in the yeah, 80s? Yeah, yes. Uh, yes. I, I, I shouldn't have said that. 80s, I? I shouldn't have said that. Uh, no, you know, I, I, w I wear that like a badge of honor. The fact that we all made it through <laughs> the 80s is quite impressive. Uh, so, you know, I was really influenced, obviously, by Star Wars as well. Um, and, and I always loved the concept of the Force. But, you know, you, uh, in your book, you talk about uh, that, I think it's a line from Rogue One, I am one with the Force and the Force is one with me. Um, and that that resonated with me. I never really, I always kind of thought it was spiritual, but I never really thought about like using it in my practice to some extent. What does that mean to you? 
Yeah, you know, I was so excited when I heard that, you know, because we had that kind of dark period in the 90s with Star Wars. Of course, I was having my dark period, too, so that worked okay. <laughs> um, but when, when the franchise just started to kind of reclaim the spirituality that I feel was in the first three, um, yes. three of the movies, right? I don't and count I, the prequels at all, so... There you go. So, <laughs> so I remember sitting and, and watching and, and I was so excited when I go watch, go to watch them. I, I wear like my Star Wars sleepy pants. Like I've got the popcorn. I'm all in. I'm like an eight year old. And, and I hear him say, I am one with the force. The force is with me. And, and I was like, wow, now I'm in my forties and we're in the same place. Like this spirituality has evolved too into this place. that's super practical for me. And, you know, the idea that Many people have embraced Jediism actually as a path, as opposed to, you know, it's just a movie. It, it, we can take from any of our myths. I mean, that's the whole thing with Lucas and, and Joseph Campbell. That's how this all started with Star Wars, right? So that idea of being able to say, I am one with the Force, the Force is with me. I am one with the Tao, the Tao is with me. I am one with Christ, Christ is with me. You know, it doesn't matter what word for me that you put in there. And in the book, in the back, I actually have 200 uh, two-word alternatives, right? So I went out and I just grabbed everything that we can use and slot in that word. But I think it can be a great meditative practice. It definitely, it definitely is. And what uh, I, I'm interested in some of the other offshoots that you talk about, um, for instance, the Church of the Latter-day Dude, I'd never heard of that before. Uh, and I know these weren't like the, the important parts of your book, but there were, there were things that came out to me. And you know, Harry Potter being read, read as scripture. What, why is this, why is this important on a spiritual path sometimes? I think it's really important because I think that what has happened sometimes in the past is we've done this separation of this stuff is sacred. This stuff is mundane, profane, whatever ain you want to put on the end of it. Right. And we've split our lives so that our spirituality is in a specific building um, it's on a specific day. It's with a certain group of people. And then we saw this kind of transition when East came West, you know, starting in the late 1800s, right? And then we started to have meditation come in and yoga came in and all these different spiritualities started to mingle, right? And in that, I think, you know, with the pop culture of the 70s and 80s, I think some of us started looking at, all right, well, what if we take the stuff we love, these stories that we love that really resonate with us and have since we were seven that are part of our DNA. And what if we read those as sacred? You know, what are the, what are the lessons we can learn in those? And can I get more out of that than I might out of a certain band of people a thousand years ago or a certain group of people? Now, in my journey, I've been able to go back into other sacred texts of all the world's religions and recoup that stuff, right? And love it now. But scripture has been used in some pretty awful ways too. Um, and so being able to come in through our stories of today and find the same things, I think grounds us. And then we have a reference to go back. I love what, uh, what they're doing with, with Harry Potter and the sacred text because it's, um, it's non-dogmatic. It is non, um, you know, non-group. You just have to like Harry Potter right? yeah, <laughs> and, want to yeah. be a and want to be a better person, right? Right, right? I think what Casper and Vanessa and Ariana are doing with that is just gorgeous. We'll be right back with Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. And now it's time for our adventure with Ed Biagioti today. What's up, Ed? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I couldn't be better. I have a week off from uh, teaching and doing my job as the inclusion specialist, so I've just been surfing and spending time with my wife and son and cat, so it's all good. That sounds cool. So today we're talking about imagination and imagine. What thoughts do you have on that? The first thought that came to my mind is that imagination is a divine faculty, um, and we're always using it. When, when, whenever we're projecting what's going to happen next or what we want to do next or what we, you know, anything, anything that pertains to what's, what's coming down the pipe or even when we're pondering the past, we're, we're, we're using our imagination. So in order to effectively, in my, my understanding and from practicing and reading and studying, it's like in order to definitely from my experience, to really utilize the divine faculty of imagination effectively, we have to practice meditation because when we meditate, we slow our slow our thinking slows down, we disidentify with whatever we have been imagining, get to that still place where then we can start using affirmations to imagine what we want rather than just being on autopilot whatever our subconscious mind happens to be imagining at that moment. So give me a couple of tips in meditation. Um, we just have a minute here, but if what do you use? How do you utilize meditation? Well, first and foremost for me, it's just to sit down and breathe. Preferably I'll read something or um, that's uplifting. And I will, I don't, I, when I meditate, it's not an attempt to, control my mind it's an it's an attempt to relax and let my mind wander a bit and for you know and then as it starts to wander it sort of loosens up and i start to disidentify with my thinking but all of this happens naturally if we, if we just sit and relax feel our body don't overcomplicate it realize that we're all met we all meditate one, at one point or another throughout our day it's just just keep it really simple sit comfortably breathe well, you can even look around the room, but the key is to just relax so that we create gaps in our thoughts and we start to disidentify with whatever, you know, because before we meditate, we often think, no, this is reality. But after, as we meditate, we go, whoa, I have a choice in this matter. So I just want to encourage everyone that it's very simple. It's very easy and just keep it as simple as possible. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ed. And now it's time to go back to our interview with Sarah Bowen, author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. What makes a path valuable to you or, or to a person seeking a kind of spirituality? I think any path that, that <laughs> you know, I gotta watch my language because I usually have a sentence I say right now and I think I can't say it uh, <laughs> on a podcast. Um, we might have to bleep me out, but I say, you know, if the path makes you less of an asshat, it's a valuable path. <laughs> so we have to beep that one out. But um, I think that, you know, the point of religions originally, right, was we have groups of people who want to figure out how to treat each other well and live together with each other right that that's at, at the basis you're looking for purpose meaning and community 
And then other stuff comes along as groups of people get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we got to sort that out. And we got politics and social structures and all that kind of stuff, right? But if that path is making you um, whole and well yourself, and it's helping you extend beyond yourself to help all the other people in the world that you can, I think it's a valid path. Interesting. Um, now, you talked in your book about, you know, there's, there's the good part of religion, there's the bad part of religion, you know, depending on your philosophy. And, mm -hmm. you know, how we don't necessarily have to chuck out the, the concept of religion altogether. There are people on certain paths that we may not choose, but they're still, they're still valid paths. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that breaks my heart right now, actually, is that, you know, as the spiritual but not religious kind of nomenclature came into our society and came up, we created this, this split between, you know, I'm spiritual, those people are religious, I'm not like that, that's wrong. Um, and not in, those, not in those harsh words often, right? But sometimes, you know, though, sometimes, though, sometimes, though. Sometimes, yeah. And, and there, so there's this but. And I remember, you know, I'm a 12-stepper, and when I came into 12-step, I was doing a, a keynote speech a few years in, and I said, I'm spiritual but not religious, because I still hadn't worked out my baggage with religion. And a woman came up to me, and she said, hey, I just want to let you know, I loved your talk, but I'm religious, that's how I identify, and I want you to know how it feels to me when you say I'm spiritual but not religious. Hmm. And my heart just broke, and I went, oh. And she said, it, you don't introduce yourself as saying, I'm brunette lot blonde, I'm a woman, not a man. Why do you need to say I'm spiritual, but not religious? And that was a big shift for me. Hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, if we walk around saying we're spiritual and we're doing all these practices and reading these texts and quoting these things from religion, we can't deny where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. We can't deny the roots that, that's happening and create the split of you're over there because all of our paths tell us this is about wholeness and integration. It isn't about splitting ourselves into us and them. So you, you know, joined the seminary, which was unexpected, you know, from your path before your earlier part of your path. What, what made you go that step further um, to, to kind of embrace the inner faith of everything like that? Not a good question. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Um, so, so I have to backtrack just a little bit. So when I started in 12-step, you know, the, these, the, the, the God word started appearing a lot, right? And the Jesus word came with the God word. And I was very, very angry about both of those because my father had just died. And I'm drowning in addiction. And I don't want anything to do with any of this stuff, right? But um, through 12-step, it made me, I had to look at my, what I call my sacred trash. I had to look at these beliefs that, you know, that I was holding that were from like a six-year-old or a seven-year-old. I had this idea of God as this like punishing parent with a little bit of Darth Vader and, and, and Voldemort and all this, you know, kind of stuff together. I had to relook at that. And so I started reading uh, My Inheritance. And My Inheritance was 1,500 of my dad's sermons. Wow. Yeah, because we don't get a lot of money as preacher's kids, right? We get a lot of words. And, uh, and I started sorting them into which ones were acceptable to me and which ones weren't. Hmm. And then I started learning. And I went back in and started taking all these online classes in Judeo-Christian scriptures and trying to make sense of all this stuff, right? And as I learned a little more and a little more, I kept being able to pull back in a little more right? Oh, maybe that, maybe God isn't Darth Vader, you know, like, can I pull this in? Can I pull that in? 
And I started studying some Eastern stuff too, right? Once you get started, like, you know, the, the worms are out of the can and, you know, you start pulling everything from everywhere. And, uh, and I was in a class on the Bhagavad Gita, which is a, a, a text from Indic spirituality, which is beautiful, should be on everybody's book list, I think. Um, but I was taking a class on it and the guy who was teaching it was late and I'm talking to the woman next to me and uh, she, you know, we're shared like this, we're swapping, you know, spiritual stories. And she says, what's next? And I said, well, I saw this tiny ad for a, you know, crazy little seminary in New York City. And I don't know, I'm thinking like, I might do that. I don't want to be in a pulpit, but I really like what I'm learning. And my husband's tired of hearing about what I'm learning. <laughs> Told me to go find my people. He's so supportive, but he's like, you, you got to stop. You got to go find your people to talk with. And, uh, and she says, oh, what, what's the name of the school? I go, oh, this tiny little school in New York. She goes, what's the name of the school? And I said, well, you wouldn't know it. And then in my, in my memory, you know, she says in a booming voice, not in her memory, but in mine, what school? And I tell her it's a One Spirit Interfaith Seminary. And she says, I'm on the staff. Oh, my gosh. Right? And I yelled out an explicative I won't say on this podcast. Thank you. Um, right? And, uh, and, and said, you've got to be kidding, right? You've got to be kidding. And two weeks later, I was in seminary, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I really had no idea, but what I knew is I needed community, and I think that's what we're all, whether we're, we join a meditation center, we join a church, a temple, a, a, you know, whatever it is that we join, um, it's often for that finding community, and the One Spirit group is just phenomenal and wacky and uh, allows me to talk both about Christ and Yoda in the same sentence, and so I stayed, and now I teach there. Wonderful. So um, you, you mentioned, uh, uh, you intimated about uh, one of the favorite exercises that you talk about in your book, and that is one of my favorites, taking out the spiritual trash. Can you unpack that a little bit and, you know, give sort of an idea of what that exercise is like and what it's about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's based a little bit on on shadow work. It's based a little bit on what we all you know learn if we if we go the therapy route or if we um, start to kind of look at our belief systems, which happens in a lot of spiritual paths. And the idea behind taking out the sacred trash, and I like that combination of words, right? Because it is sacred. It kept us going when it could, but you know, it's, it's also something that may need to be jettisoned. So the idea in this exercise is that, you know, you start with a notebook. I love notebooks, writing, reading, all that. And you write down this sentence. What spiritual or religious beliefs am I clinging to as true that do not feel true? Hmm. And you work with that and, and you write what comes up. And then when, you know, when you're done, then you say, and what else? What else am I clinging to as true that does not feel true? And you just keep going along. You know, what practices, rituals, what doesn't feel nurturing, what isn't sustaining? And the idea of this is not to create a list of all the stuff you don't like so you can persecute those people, right? It, it's to really deeply look at things that we haven't looked at since we were children in most cases, right? Yeah. Or to look at things where someone told us something was true. You know, I grew up in the 80s, at, like I said, struggling with questions about my sexuality, right? My gender, things like that. And, uh, and I was told some things that now um, don't feel true. 
right? So this process of going through and realizing and honoring um, those beliefs that kept us, kept us safe or kept us going, uh, but also being able to know when to let go. That's a huge spiritual practice, right? Letting go. And, you know, when you're doing this kind of work, I think it's extremely important for any, anybody on a spiritual path or any kind of path, really. Um, what do you do with that voice that, you know, calls you a heretic, you know, calls you all these, these things that when you're afraid to let go of some of the things you were taught or, you know, have believed previously, what do you do with that, that feeling and that experience? Yeah, you brought up one of my favorite words there, heretic, apostate, dissident, rabble rouser, unbeliever, all those, right? Um, I think that that's when having a spiritual director, having a community, um, that can be helpful, right? Because some of these things are pretty, having, you know, or a therapist, right? Or someone secular or, or hey, you and me just working our stuff out on this, on this podcast today, Jim, right? Yes, so I, yes. I, I think that's part of it. I think that, that the doing it um, together um, is important. And, and I also think that we, ha we need to make a, a distinction between belief and experience. So I'm on a book tour right now. So I've been doing workshops in a number of different cities. And I had someone show up to a workshop uh, the other day who said, my friends told me if I come here, it's dangerous. Ooh. Right? And I said, all right, well, let's, let's unpack that for a little bit. So what's, what's the fear? What's the fear? Because it always comes back to a fear. What's the fear? And, you know, so we were able to talk about that. And I was able to tell this participant and all the participants, you know, go at your own pace. If something doesn't feel comfortable to you, don't do it, right? If, if something feels like it's stretching your growing edge a little bit too more, set it aside. Take a pause. Leave the room if you need to. This is supposed to be gentle. Mm -hmm. um, at least the way I learned it, right? This isn't, this isn't supposed to be um, thrashing ourselves, blaming, shaming, all those things we like to do. So, you know, we separate this idea of beliefs, and those are often based on things we were told, and then we chose to believe. And then what's our experience? So what is my experience? Does this feel uncomfortable? Or does this feel like I'm connecting to that which I connect to, whether it's, um, whether it's God, whether it's one of those other 200 names, whether it's inner self, spirit, you know, you know, whatever it is. Does that, does that kind of get there? Absolutely. To your question, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It definitely does. Um, one of the other exercises that struck me that I really like is um, may the force be with you that that whole exercise. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's about the B word blessings. Yes. Uh, when I when I got into seminary and there was there was one month where we had to write blessings and like all my triggers went up. I thought I'm not writing blessings. Um, you know, I came I grew up Protestant. Um, you know, I had this baggage attached to bless me, Father, for I have sinned. So I had sin and blessing like kind of stuck together and all this kind of stuff going on. And um they helped me unpack it. And I realized that I had been doing a lot of blessings. Every time I said, may the force be with you, mm -hmm. I was doing a blessing. Right. Yeah. And I was, you mentioned earlier, we haven't talked about my animal thing, but I got a big animal thing. And uh, it started when I was a little kid and I would find these little dead chipmunks on the side of the road, walking home from school, which I would put in my lunchbox and I would bring home to bury. You know, I'd been to the funeral home with my dad made sense to me. Right. Not so much 
didn't make so much sense to my mother. I went I through bet. a lot of lunchboxes. <laughs> I had a lot of lunchboxes. Um, but I would bury the little chipmunk and I would say, you know, may the force be with you, chipmunk, right? And um, so this idea of using the kind of Buddhist version of the blessing uh, in a way and just starting with the may and then adding additional words afterwards, right? So may you be filled with peace. May you be filled with loving kindness. May, <laughs> may you get to pick up your kid at school on time. You know, whatever it happens to be that we're putting that kind of positive um, intention out through these blessings and that they don't have to be limited to clergy or a building or a specific set of words, but we can, we can do them. And uh, I think part, part of what really helped this sink in for me was when I started dating the man who became my husband. I think you probably read this in the book, so you know where I'm going. But we were driving along. We live in the Hudson Valley. There's a lot of roadkill. I do a lot of burying of roadkill. Uh, but we were driving along, and my husband smacked himself on the, uh, on the chest. And I thought, my God, is he having a heart attack? And we had just passed some roadkill. And, and I said, you know, what's this about? And he said, I, I just gave the punchline away. But he, uh, he said, I'm giving my, you know, gratitude to spirit for the life of that animal. Hmm. I was like, oh, so that became a practice too. So, you know, you, you drive with, with Sean and I, and, you know, we're constantly driving by something and, you know, giving a blessing for the life of that animal because we, we have become very callous as humans, I think, as to the effect that we're having on the environment around us with animal agriculture and our driving practices and what we wear and what we eat, you know, and all these kind of things. So I think blessings comes in there, you know, blessings before we eat. Blessings for our family, for our friends. Just saying, hey, Jim, may the force be with you. Yes. You yes. You know, I think, uh, you know, again, I never really thought of that as a blessing, really. But it is. It is. I, I, I say it, you know, for fun, but it really is a blessing, too. It's very interesting. Um, you talk about, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's interesting. Like, we don't realize that, that goodbye is also originally a blessing. It, it's a shortened version of God be with ye. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we have all these things that or or Godspeed or or these things that we that we say without without thinking about it. And, you know, you can just look for those little hidden blessings underneath. You talk about both superheroes and spiritual rebels being called in some some fashion. What does that mean? Yeah, I, I wrote on Facebook when I was writing the book, I, I just popped up a post and I said, you know, who's your favorite spiritual rebel? And, you know, people started telling me who theirs were and it was an awesome list. And uh, and then, you know, a couple of people started mentioning superheroes in their list. And I thought, isn't that interesting? So I popped up a, another post and said, you know, who's your favorite superhero and why? And what's interesting is they were both um, very similar, right? They, they're in a lot of cases, they were both people who were working on behalf of some idea greater than themselves, and that they had felt called to that. Now, you know, Batman's got a signal, right? It's pretty obvious. Um, for some of us, it's not quite as obvious, but you hear that little voice in your head, right? A lot of us hear that, you know, I heard it in a yoga studio saying, you know, maybe you should go to that seminary. Um, but, you know, we, we are called, we are called in in a way, and we need to listen. Um, I think that's part of what's so wonderful about contemplative practices um, is is being able to start to listen to that inner voice and try to figure out, you know, what did it? What is my role here to do on this planet? 
you know, what's Sarah's role? What's Jim's role? What's whatever your name is that's listening, you know, what's your piece of this work to do? Um, I'm curious as to what, are there specific classes that you teach at the seminary right now? I do. Um, the, the One Spirit program is, is a two-year program um, to ordination, uh, which is cool because I get to put a rev on my name too, which, which I'm sure makes my dad laugh and laugh. <laughs> uh, karma, karma again, right? Dharma, I suppose, right there. But, um, you know, w w the first year of the program, we study the world's religions, which is fabulous because we get to yeah. dig into all this different stuff. And then the second year is about developing um, ministry right? What does that person's ministry look like? Um, and so I teach in the first year program and my particular areas of emphasis are teaching 12 step. Um, one in eight people right now is dealing with addiction, hmm. right? Personally, mm -hmm. and they affect a minimum of four other people. Hmm. So, you know, I'm not great at math, but let's call that everybody, hmm. right? If we start doing the Who's, who's not affected by somebody in addiction? And some of our spiritual spaces don't really account for this. So as someone who, who doesn't drink, um, if I go to somewhere for communion and it's wine, now I'm not having a blessed sacrament. I'm stressed out, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So how do we make our spiritual spaces and our spiritual communities safe for all of those of us who are dealing with all sorts of different things. So I focus on that. And the second area that I teach on is uh, the combination of ancient wisdom and pop culture. Oh, so that's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. So that's, oh, I have an elective, Jim. If you want to come to the elective, it's online. It's January 26th. Oh. Um, I, will, I will send you a free coupon for that one. Oh, that uh, would and be if anybody's awesome. Listening, yeah, spiritual-rebel.com um, has the information on my workshops. But that area of, you know, how do, how do we look at, go, going back to the, uh, the Dudism, right, that you mentioned, mm -hmm. Dudists use the Tao Te Ching, right, as, as their text. So they use a Taoist text. And then they, they use some modern pop culture and a little bit of Big Lebowski, right, with the idea of, I love this, I pulled it before our, our podcast, um, they believe that this idea has existed since beginning, since the beginning of civilization to correct the social tendencies towards aggression and excess. Well, that sounds great, right? So how do we, how do we look at these different places that people are finding meanings or, uh, or the Jedi code? Can I read you the Jedi code? Please, Jim? please. All right. There's, Six, there's two different versions. There's six lines. Okay, so I'm going to read you the one that I like that's a little less dualistic. So it goes like this. Emotion yet peace. Ignorance yet knowledge. Passion yet serenity. Chaos yet harmony. Death yet the force. Ooh. So, you know, how do we take something like that and go dig into where that came from? Oh, that is so cool. That go is grab so the Dhammapada, cool. go grab a little Buddha, go grab a little Zoroastrianism, you know, and, and all, all these kind of things. So that's the other area that, that is a great passion for me. Very fun. Very fun. Um, so one more question, and that is, how do you define a spiritual rebel? Mm. So I define a spiritual rebel as anyone who refuses to be pigeonholed or limited. So that's pretty wide open. Right. So what's also interesting is something that I may be rebelling against. Right. I don't like the rebelling against. I like kind of the, the living for version. Uh, and there's a little bit on that in the book. But something that may not work for me may be really meaningful for you. 
So part of spiritual rebelliousness for me is being able to hold in my own authenticity of what are my beliefs, what is my personal experience with spirituality, but also give you the space to have yours and your own rebellion, right? And so that's where the tension comes, I think, a lot of times is, is how can we each be living our own human experience, um, but yet what do we do when we rub up against each other? And I think we find those answers in, in all of our spiritual paths, or at least we seek to find those answers um, of how do we deal with that conflict. So, you know, a rebel, uh, if you look at the cover of the book, uh, there, there's a little graphic that has four little critters on it, because I love critters. Three are sheep, and one is not, not so clearly a sheep. He's got a horn, and I call him a, a unisheep um, or a sheep of corn. And that for me is the symbol of the spiritual rebel, that we can be unique in our own, you know, meanness, my own Sarahness, your own, your own gymnast, but also still be in community. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. That's been wonderful to have you on. Great. Thanks for your time, Jim. Of course. And you can find out more about Sarah at uh, thisissarahbowen.com. Is that the best place to check you out? Yeah, that's, that's my author website, and Sarah has an H. And also, the book has a website, spiritual-rebel.com, that has book club guides and spiritual director guides, uh, awesome t-shirts, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So you can check that out as well, and information on the workshops I mentioned. Wonderful. Check out our book, Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. For more information about Raymond, go to RaymondAnderson.com. I've got premium video courses for amazing instructors talking spirituality, creativity, and motivation on my website called YouThriveHere.com. I hope you join me there. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I have within me greater power than I have used, more life than I have lived. More strength than I've known I have within me Greater talent to express More courage I can muster More faith that I can show Oh, I am ready Turn it loose, turn it on I'm gonna bring it on Let it shine, let it soar Be brighter than before Dance and sing, do my thing I'm gonna bring it on Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.